Back in the year 1739, prolific hymn writer Charles Wesley penned a Christmas hymn. And the first line of the hymn went like this, Hark how all the welkin rings. Where welkin there is an old English word that we don't use anymore. It points to the sky or to the heavens. Though it was first published under a title, A Hymn for Christmas Day. It was a rather somber and a sober tune, and there were ten verses in it initially, and it didn't really attract much attention. But over the next number of decades, Wesley's hymn was taken up by others and subjected to various tweaks and changes by these other editors. One of the editors turned out to be a man who would have preached at the same time as Wesley on the other side of the theological divide, George Whitfield. And Whitfield reworked the first line of that hymn to become what we recognize it as today, Hark! the herald angels sing. But that wasn't only what Whitfield did. Because in addition to that, and he took out this old archaic word, welkin, he widened the base from which the praise was coming in the hymn. And initially in Wesley's words, it was the angels, and they were all gathered together to praise the one who is the newborn king. But what Whitfield did was, he widened that out to include not just the angels, but men as well. And therefore, when he says, Field in flesh the Godhead see, heal the incarnate deity. It's not only the angels who are being called upon to sing the praises here, but all of humanity over the one and for the one who was pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. It's the last word, Emmanuel, that we find in Matthew 1 and verse 23 that I want to major upon tonight. Actually, we have three words here compressed into one with us God, or God with us. And we know it's an amazing title of our Lord Jesus Christ, a really splendid title of His, and it is full of wonderful truth. So first of all tonight, what we're going to say is this, Christ is Emmanuel, He is God with us in our hearts. In our hearts. When I open the New Testament, I find that it's telling me something very clearly, and it's this, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Eternal Son, He was the amazing answer to so much of those Old Testament prophecies. In fact, 300 plus prophecies were fulfilled by the birth and by the life and by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the long promised Messiah. He was sent by God to save His people from their sins, and so in saving them, He was on this mission to build His church. That's His plan for this earth. Two thousand years ago, the Lord looked down upon our sin-ravished world, and He saw all of our hopelessness. And he saw every one of our futile attempts to make ourselves by our own good works and by our own intentions to get right with God. And so he did what we could never do. He came to us. 
When Christ came to earth, He quite literally became Emmanuel, God with us, for He came as the mediator between God and men, as our Redeemer, as our Savior, and as our friend. And so we're looking tonight in particular at that passage in Matthew 1, 21 to 23, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done, and here's where we're arcing back into prophecy, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And what Matthew is doing here is, he's reaching a long arm back 700 years, and he's grabbing hold of words that Isaiah wrote under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. 700 years back in time in Isaiah chapter 7 and the verse 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And 700 years before it happened, Isaiah predicted this is exactly what is going to happen. And that is precisely what did happen. And so we read here about the conception that Mary had, Matthew 1 and 21, the bearing of the Son, and the name that was attached to this wonderful Son. They called Him Emmanuel, God with us. Now that event demonstrates to our minds God's infinite knowledge and limitless power. He's capable of foretelling the future with perfect precision because he's planning it all. And more than that, he has the power to bring all of those prophecies to pass. It'll be so embarrassing to say, this is going to happen, and it didn't happen, but God has never done that. What he has purposed, he has always performed even if that means something that is humanly impossible occurring, and this was humanly impossible, because here, for God's purpose and plan to be revealed, His prophecy to be fulfilled, a virgin needed to conceive and bear a son, and she did. And as Christ came, He fulfilled a whole swathe of other prophecies. Prophecies that range from the location of his birth. It was going to be in Bethlehem in Judea. We find that out in Matthew 2 and 6. But there's a prophecy away back in the writings of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. We can cross-reference John 7, 42 as well. So from the location of his birth right through to the lamentation that would occur at the time of his birth, all of this was predicted did you know that Herod's murderous instruction to slaughter the young boys of Bethlehem led in itself to the fulfillment of a further three prophecies? One of which was Rachel weeping for her children that we read about in Matthew 2 and 18. It's fulfilled, but it was made this prophecy away back in Jeremiah 31 and the verse 15. Another prophecy fulfilled by Herod's murderous activity was this one. Away back in Hosea chapter 11 verse 1, it was predicted out of Egypt, have I called my son? And that was fulfilled because of the intervention of Herod here, as Matthew 2 and 15 notes. Then there was a third one. 
And scholars over the many years have debated and discussed this all around and come up with different conclusions. And there's one of maybe several, three or four different possible conclusions. But here's the prophecy being fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, you could interpret that as, well, maybe that means he was to be despised. He was to be rejected. And we have it fulfilled in Matthew 2 and 23. We have it predicted way back 700 years again before in Isaiah 53 and 3, in Psalm 26 and 6, even further back in time, in Daniel 9 and 26, in Zechariah 12 and 10, one of the possibilities as to what it means that he shall be called a Nazarene. The key question is, what should we do with this Christ who came? Christina Rossetti asks that question in her carol, In the Bleak Midwinter. And then she comes in with the only appropriate answer to the question when she says, what can I give him? Poor as I am, if I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him Give my heart. And it is absolutely necessary, no matter how we celebrate this particular time of year or not, it is absolutely necessary that we do what Mary did. She rejoiced in her heart. In God her Savior, she embraced Him with her whole heart and being. And that for us is absolutely necessary. One of our carols says, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for Thee. And I trust that's the cry of your soul tonight. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us in our hearts. He is also God with us in our homes. Used to be, maybe at the start of ministry, perhaps more so than nowadays, I'd have been going in through the door of a house and I'd have found maybe a plaque right there in the entrance hallway and I would have seen something written there such as the words that we have in Joshua 24 and 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this house belongs to him. He's the governor and he is the head of this home. Or we might have had these words, I'm sure everybody will recognize them, printed up there on a plaque again in a picture. Christ is the head of the home, the unseen guest of every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. I don't see as much of that today as I did many years ago. But what I do know is there are people today and they're going around and they imagine, well, we know how to build a home and we know how to do it successfully. And there are people who have never been married in their lives, not even for a day, and they're on the lecture circuit and they're telling others how to build a home. Read our instructions, have our manual. We can tell you how to do it. Well, they need to listen to the preacher who said, before I got married, I had four sermons on the home and no children. After a while, I had four children and no sermons. Because, you see, building a home is a very complicated matter. And neither your wit or your wisdom or your ingenuity will help you to build a happy and a fruitful and a prosperous and a lasting home. But in the Bible, of course, we are told who the real builder is. Over in the Old Testament, Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So he is the builder. 
What did our Lord Jesus Christ say in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19 and the verse 6? And he's talking here about not only the builder, but the one who is the cementer of that house, who holds it together, who's the glue within the relationship. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And so we have the home being divine in its establishment, built by the Creator for the protection, for the development of man's deepest physical and psychological and emotional and spiritual needs, and unless you have brought in the one to your home who was called Emmanuel, who was God with us, and you've taken him and installed him and invited him to be your head of the home's building committee, through whom all the plans that you have are filtered. If you don't do that, all of your work will be for nothing. We need Christ, God with us, greatest ever home builder in all of our homes. So Christ is Emmanuel. He is God with us in our hearts, in our homes. I'm going to hit a minor key here going to strike some discordant notes and say that he's not only Emmanuel, God with us in our hearts or in our homes, but also in our heartaches, in our heartaches. I know what's reality that this Christmas season is meant to be a time of joy. It's all geared up, is it not, to generate happiness. And sometimes we think the happiness can be a bit on the frothy side, but quite right so that there should be gladness and joy at this time, because they did say about the birth of John the Baptist in Luke 1 and 14, Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Now, if that was true of John the Baptist's birth, the forerunner of Christ, the herald of the Messiah, then how much more should this be true about the birth of the Messiah himself, our Lord Jesus Christ? There should be joy and gladness then. And so with great warrant, we announce joy to the world. The Lord is come. If you've ever had a reason to rejoice in your life, it's this one, that the Savior, the Messiah, has arrived. And yet, while the atmosphere is one of happiness, for some, if not many, here's reality, the gladness is mixed with grief. We're told by Job 5 and 7 that man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. We are never far down the road of life. Before there's a test that comes, or a trial, or maybe even ramped right up to the level of a complete tempest that breaks around our head. And when we get to Christmas, when the obligation is to show joy and happiness, it seems that that only accentuates the pangs and the pains of the heartaches that we feel. And some people, as we have just heard in our announcements and prayers today, will be going through this Christmas 2023 without loved ones. And others, they have lost loved ones over the years. And that wound has not healed. And so while all is calm and all is bright, in their spirits they feel the complete opposite to that because there's agitation and there's a degree of darkness. 
When Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Baptist preacher from London, was 18 years of age, he wrote a poem, and the poem was about Emmanuel. Just a couple of Wednesdays ago, I finally got to stand in his church. I'd visited before, but it was closed, and I saw it from the outside. This time I got in. And I must say, I was underwhelmed. Because I have the books of Spurgeon sermons and seen the pictures of the Metropolitan Tabernacle where he was preaching to 4,000 people and 5,000 people, and they were crammed in, and the gallery was on three sides, and there were two tiers on that gallery all the way round, and the place was absolutely crammed with those thousands of people, and the doors open, and I go in Wednesday week ago, and I'm thinking... This is dramatically changed. You could hardly put a thousand people in here, never mind four or five. And my guide said, well, the reason is 1941, the London Blitz bombed this building so that only the columns at the front are remaining intact from Spurgeon's ministry. And when they rebuilt the whole building, they did it one-fifth of the size that it had originally been, and that resonated and explained why I was looking at what I was. But when he was only 18 years of age, Spurgeon wrote a poem about Emmanuel, one of the verses, when storms of sorrow toss my soul, when waves of care around me roll, when comforts sink, when joy shall flee, one word, the tempest's rage shall quell, that word, thy name, Emmanuel. And it's true, we need Emmanuel, God with us, to help us through each one of our heartaches. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, in our hearts in our homes, in our heartaches. And we could explore other avenues where Christ serves as Emmanuel for us. We mentioned Adam Clark this morning, the Bible commentator, and he said, Jesus is called Emmanuel or God with us in His incarnation, God with us by the influences of His Holy Spirit in the Holy Communion, in the preaching of His Word, in private prayer. God is with us, Adam Clark said, through every action of our life that we begin, continue, and end in His name. He is God with us to comfort, enlighten, protect, and defend us in every time of temptation and trial, in the hour of death, in the day of judgment, and God with us and in us, and we with Him, and in Him to all eternity. And that's the point I will pick up the final phrase to all eternity, because that brings me to this. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us in our heaven. One of the descriptions of heaven is Emmanuel's land. That hymn that was based on the life and ministry of the great covenanting preacher Samuel Rutherford, the Lamb is all the glory, just one of the lines, of Emmanuel's land, of his heaven. I must say that I always find it very 
disappointing and heart-wrenching and extremely sad when I read John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress and I noted how Christian, awakened by the Spirit of God to get out of the city of destruction, how, though he was pleading with his wife and pleading with his family, you need to go with me. The damnation of God is upon this place. It's certain to be doomed. You need to come with me and get out and join with me in the journey to the celestial city, the promised land. But they thought he was raving mad, and they wouldn't go with him. And he had to leave them behind and endure the harsh journey to the promised land alone. And what I didn't realize for years was that there's actually volume two, the sequel. And in it, you will discover that Christian's wife, Christiana, and her family eventually start off with the same heavenly haven. And like Christian, the family, it faces the odds and the obstacles and the opposition, but it enters like him into the kingdom of glory. None of us can afford to lose the bigger picture about living in this world. We are not here forever. This is but the preparation ground for eternity. And for the saved, and only for they, that eternity, by God's Spirit and by His grace, will be heaven. I'm back to Spurgeon in his poem, Emmanuel. When tears are banished from mine eye, when fairer worlds than these are nigh, when heaven shall fill my ravished sight, when I shall bathe in sweet delight, one joy, all joys shall far excel to see thy face, Emmanuel, Christ with us. That is what heaven is all about. And I trust that you have made the preparation necessary to be there. And if you haven't, you'll make it tonight. Receive Christ as your Savior. Go forward with Emmanuel, Christ with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. In our hearts, in our homes, in our heartaches, and in our heaven.